0: Welcome, everyone, to the AI and Business Podcast. I'm Matthew DeMello, Senior Editor here at Emerge Technology Research. Today's guest on the program is Asha Sharma, Chief Operations Officer of Instacart. She joins us on the program to discuss the biggest challenges facing retail leaders in the post-COVID world and how data is playing a major role in their solutions. Throughout her conversation with Emerge CEO, Daniel Fagella. Asha underscores how AI use cases in fraud, personalization, and customer inspiration represent converging vectors in a new transformative and digitally driven approach to e-commerce. Today's episode is sponsored by Riskified. And without further ado, here's their conversation.
1: So, Asha, welcome to the program. Glad to have you here.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Yeah, we've got plenty of topics to unpack. You're sitting in a position where you're getting to see these trends very up close and personal at a company that's growing quickly and is kind of known for being digitally savvy in this space. I want to open things up on the challenge side and ask you, when you look at kind of the world since COVID, what do you see as some of the most important challenges that e-commerce retailers face today? What's kind of biggest on your horizon?
2: Yeah. I mean, from our seat, we look a lot at grocery. And so maybe starting there, grocery is just an enormously challenging business. Retailers have to manage manage large footprints. You know, think 48,000 square feet on average. There's a disaggregated supply chain, tens of thousands of SKUs, razor thin operating margins, all while delivering fresh produce, prepared foods, affordable prices, amazing merchandising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've done an amazing job at this. But what we've seen with, with COVID and especially post-COVID is that the world is starting to move online. Unlike a lot of other retail sectors, grocery is really the last one to move. And it's one of the biggest, biggest industries when it comes to retail. So, you know, most other sectors of retail, they have 20, 30, 40% penetration. Before COVID, this was single digits for grocery. Yeah, yeah, and it now was. now we're it's 10% online and, you know, experts say that that's going to continue to grow and accelerate over the next five years. And so I think what, what COVID really did was change customer expectations. It formed habits. And so now the challenge is that we not only have to, you know, Grocers not only have to give their customers great in-store experiences, they have to find a way to deliver the weekly shop wherever they are, have curbside, have 20-minute impromptu family movie night popcorn, all you know, while serving their customers who are using the web, they're using their mobile device, they're ordering from wherever they are. And so I think that it's a massive challenge and massive opportunity to meet those expectations. And I think it comes with it an enormous amount of of new horizons from, you know, how do we think about fraud differently? How do you think about personalization differently? How do you think about inspiration differently? All of those vectors that kind of just start to spider out from just changing customer expectations.
1: Yeah, so there's so much on the table here. And I will tell you, Asha, I am aware just from so many interviews of those massive challenges in grocery, looking at just what the margins are by baseline. I am shocked that any of those businesses are in business. I think it's one of those miraculous things that somehow the free market can actually make that work because it is incredibly challenging. But you're bringing up some important points, and that is things that are shifting now. Now, some of what you mentioned is not brand new. In other words, eggs and lettuce are going to go bad on the shelf. Okay, well, that's, that's basically been happening since we've been plucking stuff out of the ground or taking stuff out of a chicken's nest, but the expectations are changing radically. And now the experience is going digital. And now that's bringing us into focus with personalization, with fraud. Would you say it's almost the shift in expectations? You know, everybody's used to the, you know, the Amazons of the world. And now, of course, the Instacarts and everything else, that that wave is what's putting so much pressure on this space? Or would you frame the challenge a bit differently? I kind of want to crystallize it.
2: Yeah, I think the shift in expectations is creating an acceleration for people to adopt online and I believe that the right solution isn't online only or in store only. It is to build your service and technology to serve customers better in the store because they're online and better online because they're in the store. And meeting customers where they are is a very kind of not new problem, but new challenge for grocery where there's specific contours to grocery that make that more challenging. For example, Having a very clear understanding of what your inventory looks like when it's in the back room, on the shelf, and then being available to a customer in the store versus a customer online, very, very hard challenge, which is new, I think, especially in this place when people do have specific tastes on what kind of eggs they want, what kind of lettuce they want, what kind of cereal they want. And so I I believe it is both the shift in customer behavior, but also you know, enriching the experience to serve them both online and offline. And I think that the competitive landscape is, is creating a lot of pressure. You know, Amazon is a, is a technology first provider. And, you know, we one of the reasons why I love Instapart and I'm very attached to the mission is, I believe that the future of grocery belongs to the people who started it. And so, you know, we want to partner with all of these grocers to help them Serve their customers better in this new world.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I think, and, and, and every every Amazon competitor has to have some kind of a moral banner to to call themselves under, right? Spotify, it's like you know, power to the merchant and whatever else. But but I'm I'm following you, and I think there there is certainly some credence to that. And as you're saying, those local grocers, right? That that person down the street that's been running that shop for 120 years, maybe they've got three locations now. You know, family business, or maybe a little bit bigger, whatever it is. They haven't really had to, you know jam themselves into the internet, you know, all that recently, right? Their, their experience crafting has really been about how they stock their shelves. It has not been this hybrid reality that you're now talking about. And that obviously, you guys are helping people with kind of adopting here. Maybe we can sort of crystallize two things. I want to put these challenges in a bucket and we're going to move into the AI and data kind of fitting into the puzzle. But you're, you're opening up a great Pandora's box. The things that are jumping to my mind are, you mentioned personalization and fraud, What are some of those big hurdles of personalization now that this hybrid reality is really an unstoppable transition? And also, what are some of the challenges around fraud that are really starting to rear their head in grocery that that maybe just were not, you know, a certain while ago?
2: Yeah, I mean, so let's start with personalization. I think personalization at the end of the day comes down to understanding who the customer is online. And so for customers... A lot of times, when I think about online grocery delivery, whether it's our partners or Instacart, you know, service starts with knowing exactly what items are available in every single store. And so that requires deep integrations with all of the inventory systems. And in many cases, there's gaps. And so it requires things like machine learning models to predict per store, per region, per state, per retailer, what the availability is at any time. To give you a sense, we update our catalog 3000 times per second. That is what is required to not only know that we can deliver the right goods to the right person, but also we can suggest the right goods. We can find them in the right stores. And so that is a microcosm of what is tough about it. I think a second opportunity is just, you know, there isn't a lot of good data quality out there when it comes to the catalog. When you go into the store, it's an amazing experience because you get to smell the goods, you get to read the labels, you get to play with it in real life. The online equivalent of that, it doesn't exist without data and enriching the catalog. And so a lot of times I think a challenge is that retailers and grocers just don't have the technology teams to be able to do that. And so we have, you know, Mm. 2 million rows of data where we are... You know, combing through and have to understand that and enrich the actual catalog and the experience. And then we, you know, take that to build knowledge graphs to say, is this actually how these customers want to make decisions? And so I think that's the challenge with personalization is not only knowing the customer, but enriching the experience such that it's as good as their experience in the store or complementary, if you will. When I think about fraud, it's just tough. There's a lot of sophistication out there. That exists from people being able to create multiple accounts to shopping in different stores and from different IPs. Like all of that is really tough. And so the way that, you know, we we kind of think about it is how do you start to study behavioral anomalies and start to cut off the, you know, or create interventions to that? So we think about that as just-in-time systems. If you think about in the store, you you have to watch what's happening to everybody one at a time to then see that fraud has occurred. The amazing innovation of machine learning and AI is that you can detect patterns and then in real time decide if you should intervene at a rate that is impossible in the store. So I try and look at that as an opportunity and how we approach it and then kind of shape our policies as a result of that.
1: Big time. And this will, you're naturally transitioning us exactly where we're headed, Asha. And the reason we're bringing you on the show here, which is to talk about where data and AI are waking up in the transformation of kind of the e commerce retail ecosystem. And I think this applies just as much to the personalization side as to kind of the, the fraud and policy abuse side of the coin. So I'd love to dive in on this. And, you know, you had mentioned a bit, we'll talk personalization first, and we'll wrap up on fraud, but you started unpacking it. And I know our audience is probably pretty excited about this. You had mentioned just how many rows you're updating. And the fact that I think you said something like 3000 times a second or something to have, you know, accurate understanding of maybe what we have for inventory, or what products are there, or, you know, the descriptions are correct, or whatever the case may be. Talk to us a bit about, I guess, the data foundations of making personalization work. Of course, you have experience in grocery, but if there's general principles that retailers could learn, that would be great. What does it look like to get our data house in order to be able to be that nimble in our updating? Because Asha, I'm sure you're aware, many retailers, they just don't even have these house of cards even built to be able to pull from and and draw insights from. So give us a sense of maybe what that journey has been like for you guys and, and maybe for other retailers.
2: I think it's challenging. You know, one of the things that we think about is we are not a retailer. We are not a grocer. Our partners are world-class at that. They are world-class at understanding merchandising. They are world-class at understanding, you know, how to connect customers with their needs. What I think we have a competency is, is in technology. And so how we have approached that, especially because a lot of retailers, a lot of grocers actually can't, you know, all have large engineering and tech teams with the the scientists that that's required you know we have really thought about this as a platform and so how we have approached this which may or may not be great right for everybody is you know first is just how do we get the right people in the building and so for us you know we a significant portion of our entire engineering team are scientists and a significant portion of our company is our engineers yes and so we have just invested in a disproportionate amount in in having the best people in the world who can think about this as an example you know we have 200 published papers on ai and ml we have thousands of professional citations you know we have a lot of folks who have have experience with microsoft research google research facebook and so and we have a chief architect so we have I think it starts with a dedicated choice of are you going to invest? Are you going to get the right talent? And are you going to make a 10 year plus investment in this on day one? I think then from there, we've kind of looked at it more systematically. And the first thing is just like, you know, what is the right systems that you need to build? So we never just build a feature. We think about it as, you know, what is the service? or system. It is one of the most critical systems when it comes to commerce in most companies, and regardless of the sector, it probably makes up more than 50% of a customer's basket. And so, you know, we have spent time purpose building that system as, as an engine, really, where we have used ML as a first principle. So that system understands user intent, matches it with highly relevant products. And then we actually start to serve experiences off of that. So For example, you can take, if a user searches for Lunchables, we not only retrieve results for Lunchables, but kids' snacks, and our model, you know, starts to to support semantic similarities that come with that. You know, once the results are retrieved, we rank them using models. We incorporate rich signals about the user's tastes, like dietary preferences, category, brand affinity... And then we start to personalize the search results to to think about how we build the basket. And we have auto suggest, so like mm. all of this, it's not just like a feature; it is an entire system that walks the user through the journey of their intent and their desires and their their personal needs, and we go from there. So I think that's what's required: it's, it's make a decision you want to invest, get the best people for the next you know ten years plus. And build systems, not features.
1: Absolutely. So let's unpack this personalization stuff before we make the fraud transition. So you're bringing up, you know, a crucial point that I think hopefully some of our listeners understand, which is that this is building a foundation. It's not putting together, you know, a nifty side feature on your website. This is building a data foundation, building a software foundation. And focusing on these core capabilities that drive value. And you're bringing up a really important point, Asha, which is you guys, well, clearly the reason we're having you here in part is because you guys have raised so much more money. You've had so much traction. You've seen farther on the digital first retailer retail world than most because you help all these retailers. So you're going to know what it takes to make excellence happen because you've proven it. And part of this that I'm hearing, I'm going to try to crystallize some takeaways. I'd love your thoughts on this just to make sure our audience is getting the right insights. One is, yes, there is this be prepared to make this a long haul investment. Be prepared for the talent and the data infrastructure to be a very serious strategic long-term sort of facet of what the future of business is. I think any real retailer that wants to think about 10 years in the future, they don't really have a choice. I mean, this is mandatory. But also you're, you're talking about focusing on high value areas. And you you mentioned for yourself two things that really seem valuable in the e-commerce side of retail. One is search. So getting your data house in order to make search work. I think you mentioned 50% of a cart value is going to come from typing words into a bar. So are we detecting the right intent? Do we know what somebody says, or what somebody means when they say, you know, red cherries or whatever the case may be, or they type in a certain brand name that might be confusing and there might be different brands, you know, that, cover different products. So that was search. And then the second was more around recommendation. So looking at somebody's behaviors and activities, and then asking what naturally would fit together with what they're shopping for. Do you see those as kind of two core focus areas for all of retail? Is there a different way to crystallize it? I love your thoughts on this. I just want to take down the right ideas.
2: Yeah, I think those are great, like the long term investment. I think when I when I think about personalization, I think search is important. But I would zoom out a bit and think of it more as kind of as you, you you started to frame it up. We need to work together to collectively build systems to solve real user problems. Search is one. Recommendations is another. Logistics is another. There is, you know, we use ML in every single part of our stack to solve real customer problems and real business problems. And so I would just say that it, it's not even one area, Dan. It's you have to build a systematic approach starting with the customer or the business problem. I would say the only other thing I I probably missed is I think there's a misnomer that ML and and AI only apply to online. And there is so much opportunity in the store as well, right? And it's even more powerful when you can make an omni-channel. When we think about dynamic pricing, we look at it across in-store and online. And that's really when you start to get into the next frontier of what's possible and optimizing your full business and, in kind of not drawing an artificial line between modes of communication.
1: Certainly. And in retail, because it's only 10% penetration, there's, there's hardly any choice anyway, right? I mean, Wayfair doesn't have physical location, so they, they don't necessarily have to pay attention to this part of the interview. But the, Grocers obviously do, and yes, you are right. There's rife opportunity in both, and I think that's a great point. Think think about hybrid. Don't think about ML It's just the the online side of things. I, I think you know probably fraud is the same way, where it's not just online. But I know it's gotten a lot more complicated, Asha, since the internet. You know, you mentioned before this idea of cre- people creating multiple logins and things like that. You know, we think a lot about uh, policy abuse. You know, people taking advantage of you know whether it's refund policies or shipping things or whatever in all kinds of industries, fraud of various and sundry kinds. I'd love to know from your vantage point, which challenges kind of have been the biggest in your space. I don't know if it's simply kind of payments and friendly fraud and chargebacks, or if it's shipments or something like that. Like what are the big issues? And then we'll talk a little bit about the AI and data side of addressing them.
2: Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, the issues span the gamut. It's everything from payments to incentive abuse to you know, on all sides of the marketplace, up up and down the, you know, creating different accounts to kind of get different appeasements and refunds, things like that. So unfortunately, you know, we can't change human behavior on that stuff. But the philosophy in our approach to, you know, not catch it after the fact, but really use AI for fraud and loss prevention. We want to intervene before it happens. And we want to do it in like understand and detect in real time that it's happening or that it, offender is on the platform. So I think that that's the opportunity. I, you know, I can't help but to look at problems as potential. Again, like I said, in the story, you catch it after the fact you catch it when someone's walking out, when somebody's put something in their pocket, when somebody, you know, gives you a a fake credit card or fake money, you know, or fake coupons. This is something where we can use our platform to do it before it happens and we can get better and better because we will have more data sets to understand the false positives and you know what's actually happening. So for example, if someone's buying a lot of high value items or filing for appeasement reports in unusual volumes, you know those are signals that we can use to then understand what might happen in the future with somebody who's doing that and how can we detect that that's going to, going to happen and what, what, what will we do?
1: Yeah, this is this is a great point. And you're kind of talking about getting more preemptive, because I think it's hard with just kind of a BI dashboard to do very much other than to say, hey, this person has had a lot more of these kind of particular complaints in an order. And, you know, in that case, maybe we can build a hard coded software system to say, okay, X number of complaints within an X, you know, number of hours or days Let's flag that and let's either, you know, prevent commerce from that person or let's have a human, you know, investigate under different circumstances and we could kind of hard code some rules. But there's so many ways to manipulate the system and you're bringing up what I think is more about looking at the future. In other words, what are those early sets of behaviors from how the account is set up, maybe IP address, et cetera, et cetera, maybe first couple purchases they make or their behavior on the website that really are indicative as precursors of these kind of later downstream fraud events. Am I picking up what you're putting down, Asha, or were you implying something exactly. different? If okay.
2: somebody is searching for, you know, only high basket items at a rate of a hundred searches per minute, that's probably not a real human on the other line. It's probably a bot. Or yes. like, you can actually learn at a rapid rate and apply it to all prospective perspective customers and so, or visitors. And so, that's really the power is starting to 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 get into the learning mode and then a, a application mode and just continuing to get into that loop
1: got it so and and it seems like there's there's so many new patterns and ways to do fraud I mean you know you had mentioned somebody doing a hundred searches a minute. It would seem to me like we could probably hard code some software to say x number of searches above x price within thirty seconds you're done. Like we're not going to let you buy anything, period. But there might be very subtle different kinds of patterns that kind of come up. So we might be able to kind of prevent that fraud ahead of time. So that's really useful to understand. Is there anything else on kind of the policy abuse side that's really important to understand in terms of how data and analytics can really be an opportunity, like you said, you know, a, an opportunity to improve the overall customer experience and business results. Anything else you want to highlight?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I think it, the, one of the things I often think about is how do we kind of not only use all of the, the customer care and customer experience challenges as as kind of a how do we prevent but how do we leverage this as an opportunity. All of this comes down to different service levels, different policies. And with technology and with data and insights, you can start to segment your customers. You can offer them different services. You can, you know, start to engage with them and in, in kind of chat. You can start to, you know, look at your cost to serve differently by the lifetime value of the customer. You know, you can and so it's the flip side of the fraud and and the abuse and all of those things which you can have varying levels of policies for, you can also do that to your advantage and do it as an opportunity to grow with your best customers as well and give them differential service to the positive. And so I see it as the same, like one in the same opportunity and challenge or the same spectrum. And I, I really think it's more of a philosophy to get into. And so if I know that a customer is, is you know, high value customer, I'm going to think about the right service to continue to, you know, build a long term relationship with them. And and that's the same as a customer who is a low value customer who is abusing the system and the type of relationship we're going to have as a result of that.
1: Yeah, okay. So this is great. I like I like ending on this note where you really are framing the big picture opportunity, and that is... Let's use ML, let's use data to not just think about preventing what we don't like, but let's maybe even super reward the folks who are showing the right kind of behaviors. You know, Let's create, like you said, different tiers of policy treatment, different kinds of experiences for folks, and maybe take our best customers and make sure they stick with us forever, in addition to preventing the really kind of scammy stuff from happening on the website. Exactly. Yeah, I like that. Okay, cool. A a part of a bigger picture philosophy. Asha, I appreciate you going, I guess, big picture strategic as well as giving us some tactical boots on the ground examples. I know that's all we have for time, but thank you so much for being able to join us here on the podcast.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Dan.
0: Wrapping up today's episode, I think the values to underscore that resonate through the retail space and other sectors is that in the search for customer care data, we have to ask ourselves how important is it for customers to be so profitable to the business? Because as you can tell from Asha's conversation today with Daniel Fagella, the answer may surprise you in that. All kinds of customers present value to the business, even those that are skirting some rules, but not all, perhaps not in a malicious way. Maybe we all have that uncle that maybe used to bootleg some DVDs back in the day. He wasn't a bad guy, just wanted to save on DVDs. And of course, throughout the retail space, this customer still has value. From a data perspective, this customer is just another data point. And if they can be connected to return on investment for the entire system that is a great way of thinking how ai adoption works in this space stay tuned next week next thursday for a very special episode another in our riskified series on retail fraud and loss prevention in data both on the brick and mortar side of the business and on the data side very fascinating episode and that's with chris nelson senior vice president and Head of Asset Protection at Gap Incorporated. That's the second episode, as I said before, in our Riskified series. They're our sponsor for today's episode as well. On behalf of Daniel and the entire team here at Emerge, thanks so much for joining us today, and we'll catch you next time on the AI and Business Podcast.